Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Ray. This is episode 187. I am joined on this opening Sunday of playoff weekend by my co host, Stacey Pound. That's at Stacey Pound 89. Stacey, how are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, happy Easter, everyone. Yes, it is also Easter. Um, and Passover. And, and we are in Ramadan. So, very nice uh, intersection of, uh, yeah, all three. It is, um, but we are joined by a special guest, not a first-time guest, but first time in a long time. You will remember him as the stanner of D'Angelo Russell and all things obscure about the Kings, the Hornets, and the Timberwolves. He is at Free Malik Monk. His name is James Boo. James, how are you doing? Yeah. Man, it's it's yeah, exactly. It's been a while. You, you guys have mentioned like the Pistons. The Pistons are on that list now that they got back. They're, they're growing into it. They're growing into yeah. it. They're growing into it. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm stopping the Hornets out for the Pistons um, after this season, but but yeah, that's just because uh, you hate James Borrego, though. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, pretty much. But um, is it, <laughs> do you reckon he's gone? Do you reckon he's going? I don't know. I mean, you're you're the you're the Hornets guy. Yeah, because he just signed an extension. So, like, I've, no, I've I've long given up on the Hornets, like long term prospects. Do you think they need like, a defensive minded coach? Like, somebody who plays the vets more defensively. Uh, no, they definitely don't need somebody who plays the vets more. I think that's yeah. James's entire issue with the team. Well, I still think they should take Tibbs, but. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um... Yeah, I don't know, but anyway, yeah. Uh, good to good to be back after a while. Um, yeah, very excited for this first time with yeah, this... first time recording with Stacy too. So yeah, yeah, it's gonna be a fun one. Uh, but before we get started, I do have to make an announcement that the Strickland does have a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers. There's a six dollar tier that gets you access to Pot Strickland every Friday that I do with Prez. It also gets you access to the Strickland Mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland Discord, which, if you don't know, the conversation never stops. Playoff basketball, Knicks basketball, always in there, always talking. Uh, there are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to weekly articles by the wonderful Matthew Miranda. It also gets you access to, if you want to listen to me yell even more about the Knicks, uh, my solo pod that I do called Struck and Roll. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. They come with a variety of benefits, including watch parties, listening in on pod recordings, and even potentially hosting a podcast alongside myself and others. But whether you choose to subscribe or not, your support is appreciated. None of this would be possible without you. And without further ado, um, Look, I, I think this is a good place to start. It's um, we've seen a lot of interesting point guard performances. I would say over the last couple of uh, last couple of days, 
Um, you know, Trey had what I thought was kind of like, in some ways, a genius level performance at Cleveland um, in the in the uh, play-in game. I, I thought he was really incredible, like truly spectacular performance. Um, but then he follows that up with a total stinker today against Miami. We saw Lamelo seriously struggle um, in the playing game in the first playing game against Atlanta. And James, I wanted to have you on because you know you follow. I know you pretended that you don't care about the the Hornets anymore, but you do. <laughs> but I wanted to have you on because you were very critical of of Lamelo. Like you were critical of his performance, not so much what he can be as a player. Yeah. And I'm just kind of curious to like get your thoughts on. You know, like what, what about his performance in that game? Did you think was in line with everything you've thought about him coming into, I guess, over the course of the season? Oh, I mean, well, first of all, like you brought up in one of our group, like the group chats, like about how, like the, so like my my biggest issue with the game was just I don't think Lamelo controlled the tempo very well. Like I thought his shot selection was quite, yeah, just not like unsuitable, inappropriate, I guess. Um, um, yeah. So, but yeah, like you brought up in one of the group chats, so that's probably you know an artifact of you know the fact that he barely played proper organized basketball coming up. Like, um, yeah. So, uh, so. And that's something I hadn't really like. I hadn't really made that connection uh, before that because, like, I guess, like my Lamelo criticisms beforehand before that were honestly mostly focused on just like just half court stuff, and that's a similar thing. Like, like uh, that's part of it, right? Like to me, yeah. So I I can expand on this. Like to me, um, and I've talked about this a lot. Like. one of my favorite all-time playoff performances in terms of, like, I don't care. Like, to me, in the playoffs, people get really hung up on efficiency. And efficiency, look, obviously it's not unimportant. We know that. But, like, it's very situational. And there are games that are just ugly and hideous where efficiency should get thrown out of the door, and you can't get caught up on it. So overall efficiency in the playoffs is its own thing. But, like, Controlling tempo is always something you can do, right? Like to me, that's something you can yeah. always do. And and for me, one of the guys that I think is really great at it in the modern era, and and one of the best performances in my opinion that I've ever seen in an elimination game was Kawhi against the Raptors or against the Sixers yeah. in 2019. Like I thought, I don't, his numbers are like I don't know. He had like he was like 16 yeah, it was or like 40, 40 or something. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Of 39 or something like that. Yeah, it's like an ugly stat line, but it's like. If you if you went back and watched that entire game, they had no business winning that game because as much as I love Kyle Lowry, he shit himself. Oh, Siakam shit that's himself. That's a funny ass game, man. Like yeah, it's a Kawhi weird game. and then like the Ibaka like step back three like without yeah. like those two were the only guys who showed up. Yeah, and and like what I'm getting at here is there are games where if you were the best player on your team and and like I, I correct me if I'm wrong. Do you think Lamelo is the best player on the Hornets? Um, that's kind of a tricky one because I feel like when when Hayward plays, but Hayward's often... not there. So, for, so 
Assuming but, Hayward is not there. But I don't, I don't think it's a team really designed. Like, Lamelo has control of stuff, but I don't think it's... I don't know. That, that's... I guess I, I guess by design with Hayward out, he's supposed him and like Rose Zero is supposed to be the guys on the team. But I just the way I would see it is I don't think those two are good enough at the half court creation stuff to where okay like regular season Lamelo is the guy on the team like he makes everything work for them. So yeah, sure, he's the best, he's the most important player on the team. So like what what I'm getting at is like there are games where just like if you're the best player on the team, you kind of yeah. have to you kind of have to figure out like okay, look, nobody else has it right now. Like they just don't have it. And we can't get lost in this, like, in the tempo. Like, I need to control the tempo. I have to, like, own this game. And win or lose, like, I'm going to dictate how the game is played. And why I thought that Kawhi performance was so great is specifically because, as we just mentioned, like, nobody else had anything. Especially not the guys on that team other than him that you would assume can create, right? Like Lowry, even Van Lee. Siakam, they, they just didn't have it that game. And what I thought was so great about that game is, like, he's going up against Jimmy Butler, uh, Joel Embiid, at that time, uh, Tobias Harris, who, like, people like to clown, but it's like, if that's, like, your third or fourth best player, that's pretty solid. Uh, ben Simmons and J.J. Redick was a starting five. Like, on its surface, like, that is a game they should have lost, the Raptors, in my opinion. Like, 100% they should have lost that game. And the reason I thought they won that game is purely because of, yes, the non-Joel Embiid minutes, which were like two, and somehow they lost those by like 12 <laughs> points or something. Um, but also, like, I just thought Kawhi did such a masterful job of, like, owning the critical moments of the game. Like, okay, we're down four. I got to get buckets now. Like, there's a flow and a tempo to that. And to me, it's not concerning that LaMelo has no feel for that yet. Like that's like like his development and Stacy, you can probably talk about this since you're probably way more familiar with how he developed uh, prior to the NBA. But like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like when he was at Chino Hills and all that stuff, like they were just running and gunning. Right? Like there was no like understanding of like we're gonna try and execute in the half court type of shit, and we're gonna. Yeah, take- I, I think Stacy yeah. can talk about this as well. But I thought like basically like they were more conditioned than every other team, so they just like kind of played the long run. In a, in a similar but different way to kind of how the Raptors play, like crash the offensive glass and win the possession battle. So over the course of a game, you're just going to have advantage in that way. I thought it was kind of a similar thing. Like over the course of a game, a team's going to get tired. So this like constant outlet pass, you know, filling the lane stuff is mm-hmm. eventually going to swing the game in your advantage and you're just going to run over the top of the teams. Yeah, I mean, I think... The Chino Hill stuff, I weigh a little bit less than what he did in Australia. Um, which, um, I mean, his shooting was terrible, but I thought he was really good at running a team. I still think, I mean, especially his second-year point guard, um, his, his, his vision is unquestionable. Yeah, I think yeah, his feel amazing. is unquestionable. I think the decision-making and, like, when to go for the home run, when to go, when to take your own shot, like, didn't, and it's tough because yeah. there's times like James, you mentioned a shot selection, but some of those are like it's a pull up three in transition, and you're like, all right, they can get a better shot than this. But also the best players in the league, like Trey's taking that shot, um, Lucas taking that shot, um, uh, well, Emmanuel quickly, who is obviously like, way better than those guys, is taking. Like that they'll shot. take that shot sometimes, but 
I don't think Luca is going to take it like when you have yeah, into the paint for three posi- three consecutive possessions. You know what I mean? So I agree with that, but I think like I I don't think it's as like I think that will still be a part of his game, even yep. if he like okay. fully becomes. But you're right. He he definitely because, needs to find a better balance. Um, yeah. I don't disagree with that. But I think like there's very little like it's not like a there's nothing to me that bodes in terms of his long term development where I'm like man that's a blind spot for him. Like, I don't yeah, no, no. And I, I want to make this clear. Like it's just it's a second year point guard who has all of the tools to just be like you know it's just like you give this genius a saxophone and the first time they start playing they're probably gonna play some garbage. They're probably gonna play some beautiful stuff too. But um. You know, it's... yeah, and I, and I just want to make this clear. Like, I this was not. Like, I don't want this discussion to be viewed as like I'm doubting Lamelo's upside or potential. Like, that's not what this is about. Like, I think he's going to be a superstar, like or close to it. Anyway, my definition of superstar varies from other people. Like, I think a superstar needs to be somebody who is a MVP caliber player. I'm not sure he's going to be that. He could be that. He definitely has the upside to be that. Um, but I definitely think at, at minimum you're talking about a perennial all-star level player. Like he, he's going to be a stud. Um, but like, it's more about with point guards. I think people really undervalue how much development comes from game experience, like, and getting your shit kicked in sometimes. And I thought like Lamelo, the last year is no plan has gotten a shit kicked in, and and people like. You know, it, and I get it. Like, Twitter, you know, I do it too, right? Like, you're going to crack jokes and, and make memes and stuff like that. And I understand why that happens. But, like, I watched those, like, I watched that game from LaMelo, and I wasn't really concerned at all. I was just like, yeah, he fucking sucks at controlling tempo. Like, I, I know this about him because I've always thought this about him. Like, because to me, that was always kind of, like, going to be a big part of, like, how he needed to progress as a player. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. that, that yeah. was always like, that was always like a thing with him. That was one of his, I got to work on this type of shit. Yeah. Like the thing is the thing that, yeah, like his transition stuff, like I did not think about this enough when evaluating him as prospect prospect, but the transition stuff is absolutely translated. And you can just see like a lot of these regular season games, Sean, it's they're just at times they just look impossible to play against, honestly, because they're like, they kind of play like Shino Hills in a way. Like, they don't care if, like, the other team made a bar. Like, they don't care if you got, like, a wide open, like, pick and roll off the uh, dunk up the pick and roll, you know, the low man didn't rotate. They don't care. They're just going to, like, you know, out the pass and they're going to get into their ball movement offense and then they're going to get a good shot and they're going to shoot that shot. And it doesn't matter if he goes in or not, they'll shoot it again. So, like, um, like the Melo's transition stuff is absolutely translated. It's so impactful. Like, that's why he's an all star because, uh, and that's why he was one of their most impactful players in the regular season because of um because of the transition stuff. But the half court stuff and I think like like so yeah, so like I yeah, the half court stuff exactly as Shun so was always a question. And it's not just like it's not just like, you know, can he score in the half court? And then it's it, and it's it's also like, you know, can how can you run a team? And I think Lamelo has good instincts on like how to get other guys involved, keep other guys involved, keep a team, you know, involved. And that's part of being, you know, a point guard. But there's also the part of where, especially in the NBA, you know, um, probably the sets um, aren't as complex uh, and they're probably, like, quite... Like, the point guard... The, the NBA is a point guards league and, like, often the point guard is not only, like, running the, the team, but they're also the best scorer. And, like, um, you know, the defences are so good. So, like, 
ideally you want your point guard to be able to just get your own shot. And then like, so I think that's exactly, that's part of it. And, um, it's not just a no specific issue either. Like my complaint with Garland early this season was he had no, like his, you know, you, you're Darius Garland. Like everyone who watches him knows like his, I think you can make, make an argument. He's a top 10 ball handler, shooter and passer in the league. But like, he was still like, you know, like, you know, when the other team, you know, got a few bucks in a row, he was still, you know, trying to, you know, run the team, you know, like hit Larry Markinen on a pin, calling up Larry Markinen off screen three and doing that instead of, you know, like, you know, your Darius Garland, like just go get a bucket, right? So, um, yeah, it's not just a no thing. And I think um, something, yeah, definitely, yeah, big adjustment in the NBA, but yeah, it's just... Uh, but wouldn't you also say, here's the thing, right? Because I think there's two, there's an opposite problem. There's there's people with all of those skills that are trying to rein them in, I think. I, I mean, that's fair to say your characterization for both Garland and Ball, right? They kind of have to pick and choose a little bit better. Yeah, I, well, Garland, it's more, it's not, it, well, it's the opposite of reining it in. It's more like, you know, being more aggressive. But yeah, they definitely, in that regard, you know, both very skilled, like, it's just about picking the moment, yeah. But I mean, I think that with Lamelo, especially, I feel like being too aggressive. I'd rather a player who was too aggressive at this time, and then you have to learn to, especially as a passer, right? It's, I mean, the shot selection. I think it, that's an easier problem to fix than I think than someone who doesn't have that capability at a young age, right? So the fact that they're showing those things. I think quickly is more in the Garland school where like we've seen flashes where he'll just go off and it's not just shooting. It's also just manipulating the defense. Um, you know, so I think that that's kind of what to me, I'm like, you know, ask me again, right? It, it De'Aaron Fox, I think is an example of a guy that like never figured out that balance particularly that well. Right. Uh, it's not even about aggressiveness yeah, or yeah. being too passive. It's just, um, it's just not having the feel. But I think like Garland and Lamelo, they both know what's going on. But it's sometimes you push A and sometimes you push B yeah, and like yeah. that decision making process. And I think that's easier to fix because that, yeah. that comes with experience, right? So. Well uh, But I mean, like the thing with the Garland thing is I thought he'd gone over it, honestly, but then you go back to the Hawks game, like it, it's hard because I absolutely agree. Like Lamelo and Garland, they know what's going on. Like like yeah, exactly. They know all the options that are available to them, but they're like Garland's usually picking the one, you know, the team first, you know, the pass first option. Uh, and Lamelo's like, I don't think it's it's not even shot selection because Lamelo. The thing is, like, his tempo control uh, warts, I guess, they're linked to like the fact that he still isn't actually good, like half court as a ball handler, like. And like you mentioned earlier, like you know the transition. Well, I mean, always... how would you like? Is he worse than like? Is he worse than a guy like Malcolm Brogdon in your opinion? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's below average in the half court, you would say, as a primary. Well, player. the thing is, yeah, like as a primary ball handler, but like you you mentioned, like you know, there's a like you know you you said like the transition three is always going to be part of the mode game. There's a very good like Lamo could be a very viable like just like shooting guard almost like because he's already like you know, catch a shoot and then attacking off the catch. Uh, well, like, you know, when, you know, pump fake and then drive and stuff. He's already one of the best players in the league at that. So there's a very, like, he has so, his endless, like, ceiling, right? Like, he could be a great shooting guard who just is amazing in transition, 
playing point and then he could also be more of a you know pass first focused guy like this yeah so many options available him but yeah like the main thing is like he like he was still shooting like those bullshit like free throw line floaters and i think like you know like everyone like that that shit goes in like what like 35 40 percent of the time like it's just not the right and like the thing is though like he takes that shot all like um oh yeah like even off like a handoff or something he's not getting to the line as much as he should so like that's just a a processing and just like technique issue that he needs to figure out and he'll figure it out because there's no issues with like handle his finish is still not great but like you know he's he's gonna get stronger and you know he'll figure out what uh what type of shots what type of you know finishing bag i guess he needs to get into but yeah i think like it's it's kind of a question about bag because i've seen him I've seen him do that plenty, right? I think it's just uh, it's just knowing when, but I don't even know if that's well, processing because I think he knows all the options, right? Sometimes he just picks the wrong one. I, th- I think in general he needs to like like there's this thing about point guards as well, like the the extra dribble, like like you know, a lot of point guards are young point guards, and so they get into the league, they'll just like pocket pass before getting to the paint and like. That might work in the regular season, but come postseason, you know, unless you got an amazing raw man, like you know, it's not going to work. And I think that's a, I think that's a consistent issue of his, honestly. Because um, I see, I just think it's happened so many times. Like I, I don't think it's like, yeah, and like the the thing with Lamelo is he can score like forty or whatever, like you know, just shooting those pull up threes because he's so good at them and like you know, shooting off the catch and stuff. But, um. So like he he can like he averaged what twenty nine and eight or something ridiculous this year with with that warp. But I think I think it's a consistent warp when I watched him personally. But yeah, like uh, and the thing is like with Mo's game, like going back to the playing game, like he actually took it more to the rack uh, in the second half. Like like one of his first plays out of the out of the the halftime break was you know taking water to the rim. And keep drawing your fouls. So, like, there's definitely, there's definitely, you know, promise in that regard. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, actually, like, what I thought was more important to me seeing in that playing game was like, because you're playing at a playoff intensity level of game. Like, we know this, right? The regular season playoffs are completely different. I thought it was very encouraging that he. I never watched that game and thought like he's not able to get to his spots. Like, I thought he was able to get to his spots when he wanted to get to his spots. He just couldn't finish or any of that stuff, right? Like, or he made the wrong decisions or whatever. But, like, the actual process of getting there, like, I thought it was encouraging in that sense. Like, against a playoff defense, obviously the Hawks aren't exactly, you know, the greatest team of all time, but um, or the greatest defense of all time specifically. But I thought that was encouraging. To me, it was just like, and I, I wanted to bring this up with regards to quickly because, like, there's this idea that, like, oh, well, we couldn't start quickly because he was going to struggle and like all this stuff. And, and to me, that's, that's, that's what the position is. Like you cannot grow at that point guard position unless you are, unless you do struggle, unless you aren't put in a position to have those experiences and grow from them. And I I thought, you know, not just Lamelo, but like even Garland, you saw that with Garland, right? Like he played awful. He was terrible against, um, against, Atlanta down the stretch of that game in particular. But, like, you need those experiences to grow. And and I feel like when we talk about point guard play, and we talk about this so quickly all the time, it's like, 
it's like there's this idea that oh well he he played more because um you know because he started playing better and to me that's bullshit like he started playing better because he got more minutes and inevitably he improved from that and like that that's just what i think like i just don't think that's a position where you can improve without getting on on ball on court reps like i just i i can buy into that as like a a lot of other positions off ball wing or whatever but like as an on ball primary creator I, I just don't see that like i think you need to go through that shit you need to suck you need to have experiences of sucking ass and then that teaches you what to do and what not to do how to operate in certain positions how to manipulate defenses and all those kind of things um so th- that's why I just thought like the Lamelo piece was very interesting, or not even interesting, but like it's just like a really inter- like insightful thing to look at because Lamelo, who I think is way above quickly at this point in time, anyway, in terms of just like his ball handling, wow, vision. That's that's fucked up. I know it's really fucked up, <laughs> but like like he's really above he's really above him in those areas. But like even with a guy like that at his size all that stuff, like, he goes into a situation like that, and he struggles. Like, he got his fucking ass kicked, you know? And, like, that's kind of, that. that's not even, it's very important to understand that, what that means. Because what it means is that, like, this is not just about talent and skill sets and, and how much time you've been practicing. You need to go through that, you know? Like, you really yeah. do. Oh, and, and I, yeah, and you, you see this huge. all the time. With player, you see this, especially like Kyle Lowry, at twenty-two years old. What the hell was he doing? <laughs> what was he doing? You know, like this is a guy who, even like five, six years into his career, was kind of an asshole. People didn't like playing with him. No team wanted to commit to him. He gets to Toronto. Masai Ujiri literally sits down with him and is like, "What? What do you want to be? Like, do you want to just be a guy that bounces around the league?" that nobody gives a fuck about, that nobody really wants to play with? Or do you want to be a leader? Do you want, like, it take, guys have different timelines and processes, but at that position, it is extremely, I don't even know if there's an example, like Magic Johnson, basically. That, that's the example of, like, a guy who came in and was ready to be a primary from day one. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not realistic. These guys need to get their ass kicked. And even Magic Johnson, they called him Tragic Johnson for a reason. Right, he got that nickname later, a year or two in his career, for a reason. Because even that guy, as talented and as all-time great as he was, he even had to go through some of that shit. And like, that's that how he got the nickname Tragic Johnson? I mean, he had a really bad finals, uh, if I remember correctly. I think might have been the eighty-one. I don't remember which final. I thought it was a different reason, but um, no, was not that reason. Um, But like, yeah, I, I just. That's a position where, like, you know, you got to fail, yeah, fall on your ass, and pick yourself up, and that's how you learn from it. I just, I don't think there's any other way, and that's why, like, I inherently disagree with this notion that, like, if we don't, like, I don't know how you feel about this, James. I don't know. I actually don't even know how you feel about this, Stacey, but, like, to me, I argued about this with Prez. To me, if this team goes out and goes and pays uh, Jalen Brunson a contract or they go aggressively try to trade for a Malcolm Brogdon to bring in. To me, 
that just tells me they don't think quickly as a point guard, and they're not really very interested in developing as one, developing yeah. him as one, or prioritizing. Does quickly like does quickly have like a high assist to turnover ratio or something? Oh, like a low, like a low assist. Like does he have? No, he has a very high one. He has a very high. So one. that like yeah, that just makes no sense then because I th- I remember like with the Hornets, like one of the main reasons they didn't want to. Uh, just, just, just so you have a point of reference, James. Yeah. Uh, this year he was three point five assists per game okay. to one point three turnovers. So, so that's yeah, good that's good. pretty, pretty fine. Yeah. Like yeah. so, like one of the reasons the Hornets didn't develop Malik Monk as a point guard, apart from Brego, just like one not just being a dumbass with talent about. He doesn't have your vision, James. Yeah. No, but like also like um, <laughs> like Malik had a his assist to turnover ratio. I believe it was like two or something so it wasn't bad but like it wasn't like he had live dribble turnover and stuff so like if if he, if that's not even the problem then it just really doesn't make much sense and um to like you know not give a guy you know play guard reps and i totally agree like if you look at like there's so many examples like you know i, I know Knicks fans bring up Halliburton a lot but i watch the kings i watch a lot of rough Halliburton basketball even in his second year when he was like you know supposedly this freaking already better than De'Aaron fox type Player. Like, I watch a lot of rough basketball. Um, this, is your, this is your safe space to, to no, I won't, I won't tell talk, us your I won't. true thoughts on Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> no, I, was no, no. A, I, I was a Halliburton truther in ninth grade, but that was a different Halliburton. <laughs> no, um, no, I'm not going to vent too much on Halliburton because that would take <laughs> the rest of the podcast. But no, honestly, and then like Garland, like Garland was the worst player in his league in his rookie year or something like that. And then his second year, he got a lot better, but um, he still had like major issues with, you know, scoring aggression and stuff. Like there's so many aspects of being a point guard. Like we've gone through a lot of them, you know, there's one like playing with pace, like for example, Killian Hayes, uh, great pick and roll passing. I thought, I thought he made a lot play. of really good progress this year, by the way. Yeah, I, I think he did too. But like, like, you know, playing with pace, like Killian Hayes, especially for a guy who's like 6'5", like he theoretically should be able to score in transition decently with, you know, with momentum. Like his main he's issue is... He's pretty strong him. too. Like he yeah, can he's still strong. gain weight, but he's a strong yeah. guy for, for his age. Strong guy, can handle, got moves. Like his only issue is really just like the burst stuff, but in transition, that's not as much of an issue because he already got momentum, right? But... How, how much do you think uh, shooting holds him back? Because obviously that's like a... I mean, he doesn't shoot the ball well, but... I, I'm curious because um, I, I, you watch the Pistons way more than me. But yeah. Do you think that like that lack of pull-up shooting ability hurts him a ton? He was passive to the point this year. Like, like, like there's always... Every team has guys feed, right? Like the Pistons, they had the 10-shot, 15-shot quota for Jeremy Grant, who, like, you know... But Killian Hayes' passiveness was to the point where it's like, he's a point guard, he can definitely do more than this. Because, like, he was grabbing going and then just, like, you know, not just resetting and stuff. Like, he would never, like, call it his role and stuff. It's worth noting, um, going coming into the league, he had a bit of a weird shot profile. Not weird, but a little bit uncommon, where um, I think he was, like, a 38% pull-up shooter. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. a very poor catch and shoot guy yeah you know and then also his because the issue with him is he actually changed his i think prez has talked about this he changed his shooting form to be more of a catch and shoot form like he changed it to more of a one motion shot uh especially in the mid-range you know that's it it's mid-range is harder with the one motion shot because you know you can't exactly you can't like adjust based on 
where the defenders contested. So, for example, against drop coverage, against good drop bigs, you know, they'll they'll put a hand in your eyes. And if you're a one-motion shot, it's really hard to shoot it over that. Um, but so he had a few things, you know, he, like he's still figuring his stuff out. He'll be fine. But my main issue, my main point was, so Killian, good, really good point guard prospect, but he didn't know how, like, there was a lot of things he didn't know about playing point guard in the league that he's going to need a lot of time still to figure out, such as, you know, being aggressive in transition. If you look at Lamelo, like, he knows how to get guys involved, keep them engaged already, but he doesn't know, you know, like, um, which spots to get to in pick and roll, uh, despite his amazing handle. Um, and he doesn't know, like, you know, he, he, like, he's just overall his half-court scoring could use some uh, work. And then, you know, you got, like, you know, Tyrese Maxey, like, he's got the half-court scoring down, but he's probably not that great at, like, you know, the getting teammates involved and um, that uh, sort That's of thing. funny because there's a huge segment of Knicks Twitter that, that believes that Tyrese Maxey is uh, he's a true point guard. Well, in a way yeah. Manuel Finley <laughs> just cannot be a true point guard because apparently all you need to do to be a true point guard is is drive a lot. That, that's yeah. apparently all you got to do. <laughs> Which is why Alfred Payne was a true point guard last year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, so, so you brought up earlier, like, trying to think of young point guard prospects who could, could run a team as soon as they came in. And, like, really, I think the closest I've seen is Cade Cunningham. But even he in the half court has got a lot of problems. And he, like, he didn't understand tempo either. Like, he wasn't aggressive enough. Like, he didn't look for his own shot at all, really, for the first half of the season, it felt. And that's despite, you know, like, like look at his teammates, man. He's, like, got Corey Joseph, Jeremy Grant, you know, dudes who are not that good. You, and the team picked you number one. Like, he has all these reasons to, like, he could just jack up 30 shots every game. No one would care about it. But he still didn't do it. So basically what I'm trying to say, like, I'm trying to, yeah, like, None of these young point guards have it all. Like, they're all missing one or two key aspects, and that's exactly it. Like, you can only fix those aspects by playing a shit ton of games. Like, Garland has played nearly three full seasons now, and he still hasn't worked out the aggression stuff, despite, like, there's nothing holding him back except himself because the team's built around him. He has the skill set to get whatever shot he wants, pretty much. You know, he's obviously got some issues, but for the most part, there'll be a guy on the court he can hunt and he can get a shot off against, but he doesn't do it. So, like... You know, think about Garland, the guy with all those tools, played three full seasons, and he still hasn't figured it out. Then, you know, the expectations for a guy like Quickly should probably be adjusted. Um, and yeah, I totally agree. Like, and I think PD Webb said this too. Like, um, like on one of when I did a podcast with him, he was saying like, yeah, the quickest way to develop feel is reps, and um, that's why he likes point guards because usually, um, Actually, I, I kind of forgot what he said. Never mind. So maybe cut it up. But basically, yeah, like I totally agree. Like, um, you know how you get like point, yeah, point guard. You, it's the position most of all where you got you got to have reps to develop. Yeah, I just it's really interesting, and I'm curious. You, look, you're not obviously a Knicks fan, but I think you watch a lot of all basketball, uh, including the Knicks. I'm you know, saying Knicks is probably the team I watched the least last season. So. <laughs> not interesting. Uh, but like, what? I mean, when you have watched quickly, like, what are your thoughts? Like, do you think that he's just like, is he not? I mean, I guess do do you watch him and feel like there's no chance he can develop into a primary, and that's just a limitation of his game, or do you watch him and you're like, he's got work to do, but like, yeah, maybe, maybe. Nah, yeah, I've, I got a lot of. From what I've seen, I, I see a lot of reasons to believe it quickly, like development-wise, because, you know, the fact that, like, you know, he fights so hard with defense and stuff. Like, I feel like him and, like, Obi Toppin, like, they just, 
the kind of guys who like you know do whatever they can to like try and help the team that sort of thing so like that alone uh yeah gives me hope and i i, I mean i like quickly like i think he's got like i was sort of similar to garland the way he moves and stuff like he's not traditionally fast but he can like dip the shoulder a little bit and like get a half step on the guy and like I like the way he keeps his dribble alive and stuff and like, you know so I mean yeah, I I'd like I def and then like the fact that he plays with pace obviously is a good sign. I think like it, it's hard because like playing point guard in the NBA also, like you got guys like Westbrook and Lillard who like never really actually figured out how to play, you know, traditional point guard and it you know, you saw with Lillard this year, like when he wasn't a all time scorer, like he started, you know, hurting his own team a little bit. Without lack of point guard skills, but like yeah, so point guard is an interesting position. Often, if you got the scoring gravity, it doesn't matter. You just like you don't even have to play point guard. You just do do your thing, and teams gonna build around you. But and quickly is probably not going to be that. So he definitely needs to develop the point guard stuff. But like you know, from what I see him, like and he's obviously improved um, in his career. Like like he's got there's there's hope to believe he's going to be a reliable enough high court scorer and then and creator. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm a quickly believer. Yeah, I like quickly <laughs> in his role, but when the Knicks are good enough to make the playoffs, he's going to be hunted in isolation. Uh, he was fourth percentile against Trey Young in the playoffs. Uh, let him be a really good fourth guard on a playoff team. Pray your hands. Thank you, Stacy. Uh, that contribution. <laughs> Um, no, I, I, I mean, just, oh, yeah, yeah, go, Stacey. No, no, James, that's all you. Go ahead. Uh, okay, so I thought we were wrapping up the point guard thing, and I just had one more thing I wanted to add on another point guard that I know is very dear to Schwinn's heart. So, um, D'Angelo Russell, um, he's a guy who only, <laughs> so like, but seriously, this will be the only serious thing I say on D'Angelo Russell. Um, but seriously, D'Angelo Russell, only really this year he started figuring out the, um, like, you know, point guard stuff, and, Often it's because of circumstance yeah, too. Can like, I just say this, by the way? Can I just say this? Yeah. He's been really good this year. Like, yeah. flat out really good. A lot better than I ever thought he would be. And that's actually and a really... existed well with Ant, by the way, which yeah. I don't think everyone would have said that. Like, they've actually helped well, each other, I think. And I think that's just a really good example of, like, these guys need reps. Like, exactly. it, it doesn't... Exactly. Yeah, like, it's a really good example of that. And, like, a guy... Like I said, like, he's a guy I was completely wrong about. Like, like the level... He's played at this year. I mean, I thought yesterday. I know he didn't have like a good fuck game. Ohio State cough. Yeah, Sorry. fuck Ohio yeah. State always. Uh, but like, I didn't think. Obviously, not. Any, I didn't think he didn't have a good shooting game. Like that was just yeah. a factual thing, right? Like, but I thought he played a good game. Like yeah. I thought he. There is a difference between being passive, and there's a difference between like, okay, I don't have it going. Ant's got it going. Cat's got it going. Let me set those guys up in in ways that are beneficial for them yeah. to keep cooking. And yeah. like that doesn't so, mean that you need to be yeah. directly creating those shots for those guys. It does mean you have to be putting them in positions where they have advantages. Yeah, and yeah. It's so that's stuff like, like, like any defense is going to say, "Well, we're not going to guard D'Angelo Russell anymore," right? Right, so right, right. You and can just, bias just, your like, own decision making a little bit, but it doesn't have to even tip things off to the defense. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and, so and I've you're sitting on this, this, yeah. No, we'll just give an example, and then you can go on. Yeah, so, yeah. like, that's just like you know. Like, guard guard screens with air. Like, you know, it's a switch your worst defender onto him and then spacing out to the, the other wing so they can't gap out. Stuff like that. Right. So, yeah, keep going. Yeah, no, I mean, what I was just going to say is, like, 
this is something I've talked about this with Stacy. He doesn't necessarily agree with me, although he did see my point. Is that like when I've watched, like, and I, this is, I want to make this very clear. This is not like Tyrese Maxi slander or anything like that. But when I watch his playmaking versus what I saw from Quickly down the stretch of the season, for me, Maxi is a guy who creates plays out of the advantages he creates as a scorer. Like, as a dry, dribble penetrating player, he's not manipulating defenses. He's not seeing things in advance. He is very much a, a read and react player. That is not a bad thing, by the way. I just want to make that very clear. That's not like a bad thing. That's just what he is right now. He can, you can develop feel. You can, I mean, that's what experience is, right? Like seeing. But I, don't, what, I don't think you're talking about feel. You're talking about manipulation, right? Yeah, yeah. Read and react is is feel. Yeah, and like it's it's read it's, and it's, there's a difference between read and react, and then read and five seconds of react, which uh, and, shout and out Julius Randall. But and, um, and what I'm talking about quickly is like he manipulates. He's understanding that more. understanding what the defense is going to do, how they're going to cover you, and understanding where are my openings, where are my gaps, where are my reads. And we saw that from quickly down the stretch of the season. I don't know if that means that he is going to become the point guard we've been waiting for since Walt Clyde Frazier hung him up. But like, like that to me, respect Raymond Felton. I am not going to respect Raymond Felton. Um, Marbury, no. Charlie Ward, none of those guys deserve. What about Jeremy Lin? (laughs) You can keep naming them. Oh yeah, dude. You can keep naming them. You can keep naming them. Keep naming them. I don't respect any of them. Um, but with quickly, like that to me is a significant development because last year he was incapable of that. He was not capable of like understanding where coverages were coming from and using that to create advantages. And like a very small thing that we saw, not even a small thing, it's a significant thing, but we saw a bunch of this down the stretch of the season, right? Was like the stuff where. You know, Obi, like James, you know this. Obi, does anybody in the NBA run faster down the floor than Obi Toppin? Probably not. Um, so naturally, what that does is oftentimes it creates uh, a mismatch. That And so even if you can't exploit that in transition, that mismatch is still there to be exploited in the half court. So one thing that he started doing, that quickly started doing late in the season, was when he saw that and he couldn't get it to him in transition, what he would do is he would call Sims up to set the screen without any intention of ever using the screen. It was purely to create the opportunity for Obi to take his man down low and throw a lob to him for an easy finish and to clear out the paint, right? And like stuff like that is really significant to me because that is understanding the game at a level beyond like, I have to run a pick and roll and what are my reads out of this? That is like, okay, this is what has happened right now how can I maximize this opportunity? And you are essentially creating a decoy action to open up that opportunity. That is stuff, and this is, again, this is not a knock on Tyrese Maxey. And quite frankly, this isn't a knock on anybody that I would say this about. But, like, I have not, that, that is a level of manipulation that is, like, ex, that, that shows a, an understanding of the game, an understanding of, like, what is happening and what defenses are giving you and how they're going to play things that that speaks to like very very good feel and just intelligence within the game and and watching stuff like that throughout the course of the end of the season uh particularly after the all-star break specifically like i i 
can't tell you I, I could be more encouraged. Like, if he had played at the same level he had before that, broadly, um, let's say even if his scoring had bounced back, but the playmaking had kind of just remained level, I don't know if I would be comfortable. Go- I, I, I wouldn't necessarily be comfortable going into next season committing to him as a primary ball handler. What I saw down the stretch, not only am I comfortable with it, I think it would be a disservice to the franchise to not go with that. Like, to not give it a chance. Because if you give that a chance, like, the upside of that is so... Like, what is the... fuck? I, this is what I can't get over. What is the upside of Jalen Brunson? He's not a fucking all-star. He's not an all-NBA player. He's never going to be those things. Like, Malcolm Brogdon was an all-star one time. He's always going to be injured. Like, these are not guys that that are so good that mean... Like, what do they mean in the grand scheme of the NBA, right? Like, they're like... Solid starting point guards, I guess. Right? Like, what if quickly is just that? What if quickly is that good? If he, like, there's no reason for me to to believe that. The NBA playoffs means next level basketball. Get in on the first round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, each day of the first round, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same-game parlay doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of playoffs, and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Especially with the Maxi comparison, I'm going to leave out the Brunson part for now. You, I, I do think Quickly's feel is better, but in Maxi's well, defense, you hate Quickly though. You need to make that. Quick I am. I am the. I am the world's biggest Emmanuel Quickly hater. I like Quickly in his role, <laughs> um, but uh, you look at Maxi. He's he does not the same preternatural playmaker, and it must be said that he gets to play with um, somebody who many people feel should be the MVP. Tobias Harris. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and um, well, I'm not saying when I say somebody, I, I think Joel Embiid is very deserving. I think all three of them, Jokic, Giannis, Embiid, I'm not really interested in that conversation. But what I will say is that he also doesn't make mistakes. Uh, and he gets to the rim and gets to the line a lot with very few mistakes. That is very important. Um, that is basically how Jimmy Butler became a star. Massive amounts of free throws, which Maxi isn't massive amounts of free throws. He's actually around the same as quickly, but he combines that with a ton of rim attempts. Uh, and he wasn't drawing he doesn't turn the ball over. in college too. Like he didn't. Um, he, did, he did not. Line, yeah, right? he wasn't quickly level. I think he had a good free throw rate in college. Uh, he wasn't quickly level. Like quickly's was just that was what really made me like maybe he's not just a shooter. Um, when I was scouting quickly, but. Tyrese Maxey was like a pretty respectable free throw rate. Um, I'm actually pulling it up now. Uh, yeah, free throw rate in college was 34.2. So, like, that's that's pretty solid. It quickly, was like close to 50. percent But Maxey, but Maxey gets to the rim more, right? So, 
that is, and, and I think the same thing applies to Brunson. So the question is, would you rather take what quickly has shown in terms of some of the manipulation, some of the advanced passing, or the rim pressure? And I ask that because I don't, I don't have a good answer. I think a lot of, I think the conventional wisdom is you'll take the rim pressure. But, you know, I, I, I mean, I think what I would say is that long term, the passing feel is probably more important. But I do think that's easier to develop. Like, I would bet on Maxi being able to develop that, especially since he's a really smart player on defense, too, more than I would bet on quickly being able to develop his level of, of um, rim pressure. Okay, so I want to ask you a question, okay? How many drives per game do you think Derrick Rose averaged this year? In 20, he averaged, he played 24 and a half minutes per game. Just want to, so just want to ask you that. 10? 9.6. Wow. Yeah. So Just fucking crown me, right? Uh, no, <laughs> I'm never going to crown you. You suck. You always will suck. Um, hold on. Okay. Now. But this is this is like old on, man Derek Rose, though. Like, yeah, yeah, but, it, but, but this is a guy that people would still tell you is like a true point guard, whatever the fuck that okay. is. And, and, I mean, he is still very good at attacking. Yeah, he is. Okay. What do you think Emmanuel quickly averaged in terms of drives per game post All Star break in twenty seven and a half minutes a game. Is that information that you might be interested in, Stacey? Is it that is. something you might be interested in? So I will say ten point two. Wow, very even closer. Ten point three. Yeah. Well, like what, is that you, like, you led me to it, so you anchored me. <laughs> so like Stacey my, is him, man. Come on. Yeah, he might be <laughs> but like my point here is I really think we are not, not we, because we love Emmanuel quickly, probably way too much. Um, but like that to me, I mean, that's a, that's a level, like 10.3, 10.3 drives per game, shot 48.9% on those, on 4.1 field goal attempts, got to the line a bunch. Like that's, I mean, you know, like what are we talking about here? Right. Yeah, and I mean, I, you have to look at the eye test, too. I'm saying that helps this case. Just a side note in terms of how much we love Emmanuel quickly. Uh, I think just from hearing a lot of the pods I do, I think the two players my girlfriend recognizes are R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. <laughs> I asked her what So your girlfriend, and, you make her listen to your podcast? Just, I mean, she's, she's in and out of the room and all that. Um, <laughs> I'll have her say hi once, maybe. Um but she did not recognize Obi Toppin. This is my drunk co-host, Schwinn. He's an asshole. Um, yeah. Um, but the point is, we haven't talked. Like, she didn't know who Obi. I was like, you haven't told me about Obi Toppin? Look at all these dunks. And she's like, she he put her between his legs. That's interesting. Here's a cat video. Um, but um, <laughs> she let her know it's called an Ispe. <laughs> we're not there yet. But um, but on quickly. So, I mean, I think that the quickness is. It's like how much. Can you take advantage of quickness if, like, at the rim, you're just you can't go that high? Like, I think the extreme yeah, example I, I, of that I, is Tony Parker, like, right? So jump in, Jim. Yeah. No, I, I just want to say I don't like if quickly and like the role man are the only rim pressure threats on a t- on a lineup. I don't really think that's enough rim pressure. Like, just from seeing quickly, like, because I think yeah, quickly finishing at the rim is going to be like the he's going to be in his garland bag, you know, like the wrong foot. Um, layup half the glass, you know, floaters obviously, and pivot moves and stuff. So uh, I think you need more than that. But yeah, go. sorry, should uh, Stacey? 
Yeah, and like, I mean, I think the extreme example of that is Tony Parker, right? Who was like, I mean, would you agree with that? Because like, he was the guy who like, he couldn't really, like, Tony Parker was yamming on anyone, but he was an elite rim pressure guy. Nash was a great rim pressure guy too, and neither of those guys had great athleticism, but I, I just think betting on quickly to have that bag is a little tough. Betting on anyone too, it's just, they were insane players, and Curry's in that mold too, right? Um, yeah, so anyway. Yeah, um, yeah I, 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 like I brought up Garland just then, right? And he's, I just said earlier, he's a top 10 ball handler shooter passing in the league. Like, I think, yeah, if you want to build around quickly point guard, you've got to bring in another like high volume repressure threat. But, you know. So lucky like for the Knicks. So lucky for the Knicks, they have another young player who is excellent at getting to the rim. Are we going to say RJ Barrett is that guy? I was going to say Mitchell Robinson. <laughs> okay, good. No, well, but I'll just say it like, quickly. And well, but, so, no, let's, let's hear, I mean, because, yeah, do you think RJ Barrett can be that guy? Because I think that impacts what the Knicks are going to do going forward. And I know he's a, an acceptable answer to us. You might get killed on Knicks yeah. Twitter, but well, I think <laughs> it's love like, to hear your thoughts. A little bit of, like, kind of relying on aesthetics. Here. Well, the thing is, well, RJ is really good, like, off, like, you know, pistol and, um, like, in advantage, you know. But, like, I, I just feel like, like, I'm still thinking about that kind of Hawk series where, like, what they did was, you know, pre-rotated on Randall and just, like, play a weak side zone, basically, right? I don't think RJ is the type of guy who busts a weak side zone because, you know, he's not a really above-the-rim type finisher. Uh, he's not, like, us- usually he's not, like, initiated contacting there and finishing through that. So I just feel like someone who's a bit more, like, traditionally explosive is what I'm thinking um, around because I think that would just open things up amazingly for all you know for rj and iq really um so yeah i'm more thinking like but that's the thing like so but like this could just be like random like aesthetic bias and stuff because like you know i was about to bring up a guy like lonnie walker but lonnie walker i think he shoots like less than 20 percent of his shots at the rim i think that's partially honestly spurs context but at the same time you know like lonnie lonnie walker is one of the worst decision makers i've watched okay just, is he the worst decision maker named walker that you've watched no, Antoine Walker. Oh, no, we are, we are not. We're not. What about Kemba? No, 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 no. No, 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 what this is this is where I'm at with this is like is starting quickly and committing to him next year is we want to give this guy a shot at starting point guard a risk one thousand percent yes like no question it is a risk this is not a decision I think like like if you just play him you're gonna like he's gonna be MVP Derek Rose like no I'm, I don't think that like I I'm not under this illusion that quickly is you know he's gonna he's a hundred percent a perfect player that nothing like no no of course there's there's reasons to be doubtful about this. But if you're not, like, Jalen Brunson has a lot of questions about him. Like, I- I've watched enough Jalen Brunson, and I feel confident saying this. I don't see any preternatural, like, Brunson point guard is, instincts with him. Brunson. He's a very yeah, functional like, player. He's a very, very yeah. functional player and very solid. But there is no, like, yeah. like, oh my God, wow. Like, none of that. 
I also think this. If he, if he, he didn't not, play, if he came out of like what, if he didn't come out of Villanova like four years, I don't think people would be saying that as much. Yeah, and, and I also think like he doesn't play with great pace. He's a very, very, very much like methodical. Yeah, he's a screen merchant. You can just say it. He's a screen merchant. Yeah, he is. Like he and and that's fine. Like he like that's a credit to him. He has a very good understanding of like what he is. Right, like he plays to his strengths all the time. That's a credit to him. Like he understands exactly who he is as a player. Um, but like, this is not some guy who's going to like. I promise you, if you don't sign Jalen Brunson, you are not going to look back in five years from now being like, "Oh my God! If only the Knicks had signed Jalen Brunson, everything would be different." Is that how you look back on the Van Fleet signing, or no? Um, I think Van Fleet's so much better than him. That's not what I asked, though. But do you look back on this? On no, that? I, I never. I, I remember never, that I you never, and Prez I, were in favor of that. So yeah, if you... but I never, I never thought he was a player you can't miss out on. I just thought it's a player you have the opportunity with this cap space to sign that clearly upgrades a position that you need and provides a skill set that you need. Pull up three point shooting, um, like th- that to me is just which like, we don't need to the same extent anymore. By right, the way, exactly. But... We don't need that to the same extent anymore. But like, I never felt like that was a thing I would regret not signing. It was just a thing that I thought we should do. I don't feel that way about Jalen Brunson at all. I don't care about his rim pressure, to be completely honest. I don't... I, oh, I, 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 I'll explain to you why. I'll explain okay. to you. James just mentioned this, right? You got It's not just about like the numbers. You got to watch uh, eye test all this shit. I want you to watch a fucking Mavericks game and tell me a <laughs> single time Jalen Brunson's driving to the hoop and like three guys are like collapsing on him. It just, never just, happens. Yeah. It like, never like, happens. He, he didn't play in the Clippers series last year just because he struggles so bad with length. Like he's 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 not a rim pressure guy exactly. He's, yeah, he's a really really good player. Don't get me wrong. Like I think he's a very solid player. Um, if the Knicks signed him, I don't think it's a, a disaster. By the way, I just don't understand. I mean, is it a disaster at four for eighty? No, I, I think is he's it a worth disaster contract. at four for hundred. Yes. Okay. Like like for me, he's just not that. It's not even about the contract price though. It's just like, what are you committing to here? Like, this is not a guy, like, personally, I don't think he, like, I don't think the Knicks need to sign Jalen Brunson to materially improve their team. I think you materially improve this team by, like, just not doing stupid shit, like starting Kemba Walker or playing Alec hey, Brooks at point we guard. Not, we we're not going to slander Kemba. That's not slandering him, it's a fact. We're, we're slandering 31 or whatever he was this year. Wow, I just called him old 31, and guess what, guys? I'm not 31. Uh, so that makes me worse, older than Kemba Walker. Uh, the point is we're slandering what he was this year. Obviously, prime uh, Kemba Walker uh, would have changed our franchise. Yeah, prime <laughs> Kemba Walker, we'd be cooking. But, like, the point is just, like, I I just don't think that if you're the Knicks, when you are giving out free agent dollars that really matter. Like, signing guys to contracts that are significant. These should be guys that move the needle and address and, like, are clear, clear upgrades over what exists in your roster. Right? Like, like at this point where the Knicks are, they need to be very judicious with how they spend their cap and how they sign contracts and all that stuff. And I don't want, I'm not going to sit here and relitigate, like, the Fournier contract, the Burn, like, whatever. Those contracts are done. But moving forward, you like, if you Commit and they to... both do add 
when used properly, especially Fournier still made the most threes on the Knicks. Yeah, yeah, I, and, I just... and Burks fills a, a role that no one, not even quickly fills. No, yeah, as no, the no. combo guy, Burks being the Burks being used as a point guard is bad. Burks is a secondary ball handler who's six six. Like that does have value, you know, hundred percent. And and my point is more like. If you're the Knicks and you are in this position where you don't have a lot of you don't have cap space flat out this offseason, you also don't have a ton of flexibility in terms of like how to operate in uh, in handing out contracts, right? Like you have the middle level exception this offseason and everything else has to be via trade. Is Brunts like is that the guy I want to fucking use? flexibility on like i just don't understand that like i just i really don't get it i I don't i don't and i say that as somebody who also thought if the knicks could trade for cj mccullum he would been a really valuable addition like to me there's just whatever cj like cj mccullum is an elite scorer in a way that jalen like again to go to james's eye test let's just compare how teams pay attention to cj mccullum Versus how teams pay attention to Jalen Brunson, right? Like, neither to me is some amazing playmaker, but one guy draws attention that can create opportunities for others that the other one just doesn't and never will. But one of the guys is also 31, and the other, Brunson will be 25 next year, so. But, like, if you're signing, like, you're going to sign. Do you think Brunson is basically at his ceiling? Yes. Because, I mean, okay. What is he going to get better? Obi Toppin is going to be 25 next year, too. Is he close to his ceiling? No, no, because no, no. Obi Toppin has never had the leash plays. that Jalen Brunson's had. Brunson, you he's can never say, like, the his game, like, Brunson's game, like, Brunson's, like, you know, this is a guy who, like, has the best, like, pivot move package in the league, whereas Obi is a guy who, can, like... <laughs> he does, he really does. Like, Obi is a guy who can barely dribble without, like, you know, like, barely, barely keep a dribble alive, right? Like, it's, it's completely different, like, like, just body types, like, Obi is still probably, like, you know, like, but why yeah. would I bet on Obi improving that now between twenty five and twenty eight? But well, you don't need to. Honestly, but you don't need. Here's the difference: you are not betting on Obi Toppin. He's already picked. He's on your team. Yeah, he's on a cheap contract. A I'm saying that. I'm saying no, the but question, it's, it's. I think it's, the it's, argument it's, that we have made is that Obi still has upside compared to maybe certain other players on the team that might be already twenty eight or twenty nine. And so I'm curious, like, what makes you think, like, is it just the style of play? I think, James, you were getting at this, and I'm sorry I interrupted you. But is it just the fact that there is untapped skill development in Obi that Brunson cannot reach at this point because he's just very much who he is? Or is it an age factor or is it something else? But it's also like athleticism. Sure. Like, yeah, like, like, what is Jalen? Like, Jalen Brunson lives underneath the rim. Like, that's what he does. He can't elevate. He can't. He's never going to blow by you. Like, that's just not what he is. Obi Toppin is a guy who has not had much of a chance in the NBA to really, like, stretch the limitations of his usage, right? To to a certain degree. And I think when you compare that to, like, Jalen Brunson, who's had every opportunity. He's played a shit ton of minutes. And I, I and I want to. I'm not. This is not to like say he's not deserving of that. But he's had every opportunity. Like he has had so many reps and so many minutes and so many rotation. Like he's had it all. He's also been better without Luca. Like that's worth mentioning. He's looked like a legit yes, I've, primary I've ball before. handler without Luca. Yeah, because I mentioned again, it before. 
like <laughs> full screen merchant, you know, like he's, he's, he's yeah, he's a guy who just like he, he knows his spots in pick and roll and just gets to them. And then, um, yeah, so, and the, so that's the that's the thing, right? Like, um, if you like Brunson, if he kind of scales down next to a, a, a better ball handler, and then that doesn't that kind of put us a cap on your ceiling, like. I don't know. I would, yeah. I'm, I'd be very anti a Brunson move for the Knicks unless it costs like, unless it's, it'd be such a, like a super easy, like a super tradable contract down the road. Honestly, like I would, yeah, I'd be pretty anti him. And like he's going like this is his career year, and he's going 16 points a game. Like I can I definitely see it, like quickly getting to that. Like one day. so quick, quickly is like, there. Quickly is there, man. You give him enough minutes, he's already there. Yeah, and when he's had those minutes, he's also done it. So it's not a yeah. case of needing to skill that. So, I, James, I'll, I'll just post it to you kind of straight away. I think the three main, and Schwinn, if there's, I'll say four, I'll say three and with like a, an, an addendum. But there's three main potential point guard options that have been floated around for the Knicks. Yeah. Uh, that's Brunson, we just talked about, Malcolm Brogdon, and Colin Sexton. I yeah. actually have very little idea of what Colin Sexton's availability is because yeah. it seems like everyone is assuming he's available because Garland took a step. And, you know, yeah, they obviously yeah. want to build around him and Mobley. But, um, you know, if he is available, I think that would be something uh, interesting for the Knicks. But, um, you know, of those options, and then I'll throw another one at you. There's also the option of trying to sign Tyus Jones. Now, Memphis is going to have a yeah. ton of cap space. The on-off numbers, I am not of the crowd that believes that Memphis is actually a better team without John Morant, because I think that's kind of <laughs> bullshit. But there are a lot of people who believe this. And a big part of that is that Tyus Jones has been that damn good. Yeah. And that's another option that has been brought up. How would you rank those four options versus rolling with quickly or maybe keeping, you know, maybe starting quickly and like, you know, you can sign Brogdon and start him at the two yeah. or, or you have Tyus as a backup. Like, how do you kind of, how would you approach that? Yeah. So uh, my top two by far are Tyus and Sexton. And Tyus is just like, because I feel like the Knicks kind of didn't really have a proper, like, traditional point guard on the roster. And, like, just having a guy like that is going to automatically, like, do wonders. Like, like Randall's not going to be as moody because he's got a guy, you know, he's going to make sure, you know, he gets... He does what the coach asks him and make sure he, like, you know, gets he gets some bonus spots and stuff and plays some pace and stuff. Like, so I think, like, in terms of... Yeah, like, so, you know, been following Minnesota... Jordan McLaughlin's been a top five player on the team for the last three months of the regular season just by doing the little point guard things, you know, the bet point guard things, you know, controlling tempo, you know, pushing pushing on the break when you need to, you know, you know, getting the ball to whoever needs it in the right spots. And so I think Tyus is definitely going to bring that. And then also he's, you know, got a reliable floater for pick and roll and stuff. So he can score a little bit. Well, I think, yeah, so like I think Tyus and Colin are my top two because they can both play next to quickly even if quickly it's a point guard, like Tyus plays next to Jar quite well. Uh, he can shoot just enough. Um, you know, he defends like, uh, like, you know, Tyus quickly Fournier in some matchups could, could honestly work, I reckon. So, yeah, I think Tyus is, uh, uh, like, Colin's my favorite, like, one of my favorite players. So, like, his, he'd be my number one. You just think about, like, upside, you know, I think he and quickly have some similarities in that, like, you know, when they do get the chance to run the point, they they show you something new every every game, really. Like, um, like not traditional point guards, um, but 
you know, growing there. And then I think he competed, he competed really well in defense this year too. So, I, and then I think like going back to like the rim pressure thing, like Colin is, he's small. So, but like, I think if you get quickly Colin, RJ and Rob, that that's enough rim pressure. Cause Colin, he's a, he's a blow by type kind of guy. You know what I mean? Like he's a guy who can like blow by, get a warm up layup. So he's got that kind of speed. So yeah. So Colin yeah. and Tyler would easily be my two favorites. And, but they can both develop, alongside quickly moving forward. Um, Colin guards above his size really well. So, um, yeah. James loves Colin Sexton more than Colin Sexton's mother loves Colin Sexton. (laughs) Yeah. I do it. I'd I'd love to dive a little bit deeper, but I'll start before that. Um, I'll ask, so Colin Sexton, part of the reason why he might be available, I do, I agree with you on the upside. The guy put up 25, 7, 25 and 7 on good efficiency. Yeah. At a very young age, like, and I mean, I, I think if you asked me who has the high, like injuries aside, I think I would put his upside over like De'Aaron Fox. Um, so uh, my question is, did did I really just hear that? Yeah. Wait, Sexton over Fox. I trust the shooting way more. Okay. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, no, I, 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 I think Sexton's better than Fox. Is, was better than Fox at the start of this season, so that is interesting because because Fox's handle and stuff is a bit different. But yeah, um, okay, fair enough. Fox, Fox. If you look at Fox's speed and handle, is but Sexton's is really good too. And I actually, Sexton's... I like Sexton's passing better. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you disagree? I guess on the passing. I don't know. No. Um, and I like. I definitely like his shooting way more. It's interesting. Like, uh, I think they're about the same level of passes. Honestly, like Fox, Fox passing is definitely not Fox's strength. So, um, and Colin can definitely pass. So, like, I, I, I see that. Yeah. Yeah, I, just, I think their overall passing impact has been similar, but like crazy ass passes, like Sexton is more likely to pull those out. Okay. Um, and yeah. I wonder if he got to play a more. Like, if his role was better defined, if he would have been better at that. But kind of getting back to that, so on this note, right, he's available possibly because he plays on a team that has another, you know, small six foot one, six yeah. foot guard who they want to build around. So that's the whole reason we think Sexton's available. And if we send him to quickly, he's a little bit bigger. I think he's more, he's better on defense than Garland. Yeah. He's capable of guarding twos, but that's like not ideal. Yeah. Um, why would it work with the Knicks in a way that maybe it didn't with the Cavs? Okay. Well, that's the thing. Like the Cavs, Sexton thing is is so weird. I don't even know where to start with it because if you look at the actual like Garland and Colin, Colin like like he guarded OG Ananobi against the Raptors and did quite well. Like I'm not saying single coverage, he's gonna lock him up, but like you know with the well timed dig from a teammate, he's gonna he was you know like he's not like getting owned by, like, OG, I don't know if he was, like, you know, post back down and stuff. Like, he was holding his ground as well as you can expect of a, of a guard, really. Like, I I think, I think, like, I've always thought Sexland has a lot of synergy and it's only going to be better now that, um, now that uh, Garland is actually, like, showing the ability to be aggressive out of the pick and roll. And, like, he's and they have Mobley now, who puts yeah, a like, game changer, right, for everyone. Yeah. So, so like, pretty, like, he's pretty good. He's no like Julius Se- Randall, but he's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, but no, like, like Sexton, um, like this year, like he obviously, like I think the main thing with Sexton and Cavs is they just don't ever trust him to play the point. Like, like um, he was basically playing wing this year. Like um, he would always play next to one of Garland or Rubio or yeah. So 
Yeah, I think that's the issue. And then, like, if they don't trust him to play the point, then that means not only Garland, but then, like, long-term, they're going to have to find another back. They're always going to have to invest in backup point guard. And, yeah, and then obviously the roster's going to be a little bit undersized and stuff. But, I mean, I think it works. Like, I think Sexland and Forably and, you know, I think you just put one, like, high-volume shooter in the middle of that, and I think it's going to be great. So I don't think there's an idea that it doesn't work. I think Sexton, like... He's got a lot of details and he has to iron out on defense. Not a lot, but he's got a few, like, you know. But I think he's – I think he can guard up and play up above his size um, as necessary for playing next to Garland. So, Do you think the I acquisition think, of Karis Levert bodes not well? Yeah, so point? I think the – like, the addition of Levert, like, yeah, that's an interesting one because, like, Levert tried, like, adjusting to the cap system, you know, not dribbling as much, you know, trying to make quicker decisions and stuff. But he's just got – He's got so much to like work on if he wants to play that role, and like if they want creation out of Levert, then you know he's gonna have to like dribble a lot. But he's not a point guard either, so you probably need to play point guard next to him. So like, there's just a whole bunch of like, I don't, I don't think, yeah, I don't really believe in Garland, Sexton, and Levert moving forward. So yeah, that's an interesting thing. I definitely think Sexton's available, like because the Cavs like. But the Cavs did offer him like 100 million over four years last offseason, so they're not like they're not oblivious to like the fact that he's a good player. Like, but definitely think he's available. But I don't, I don't think you're going to get him for like you know cheap offer or anything. Like, I'm pretty sure the Cavs can just like match anything you know under like you know that figure, I guess. And um, sorry, Shwana, I'll, I'll let you jump in a second. No, but to be clear, you mentioned the two point guard options he liked. So is it fair to assume that? If we can acquire Sexton or Tyus Jones, go for that. Otherwise, roll it quickly. And I don't I think, know if you follow Deuce McBride that much. Bring back. Rose, yeah, like, but... so I think like Sexton doesn't interfere with playing quickly at point. Like I think Sexton could just as he plays shooting guard. Like this year, he was like running off pin downs and stuff more than he was like initiating pick and roll and stuff. So like I like Sexton the most because I just think like he's the most fluid player out of those four and the youngest. Like so like he could develop with Deuce or with Quickly and stuff like that. Like, honestly, like, maybe that three-guard lineup could work, even though it's, like, three guys under 6'2", because, like, Sexton and Deuce both play, play above their size. So, like, yeah, so he's my favorite just because I think, like, just gives you the most flexibility. But then I also I, I believe in Sexton as a point guard. Um, but I think, like, if you get Sexton, there still could be, like, short-term issues, you know, with Randall if you keep him. Um but then again, like Sexton's extra rim pressure is alone is going to solve a lot. So, yeah. So, but and then Tyus is the one where, like, I think quickly probably coming off the bench next year. But they can play together as well. So, and and uh, to be clear, if we did get Tyus Jones, I mean, I think a lot of this is tips too. Uh, I I don't know how long you've been following Minnesota for, but I'm sure you can relate to that. But also Tibbs apparently benched. Tyus was the quickly in Minnesota, right? The guy he didn't give minutes to. So yeah, but um, like, like that's I'm sure that's all like politics and stuff. Like because they signed Jeff Teague's like three years on a lot of money. Like well, if he you... signed Jeff Teague. Oh yeah, he signed Jeff Teague. Well, no, like okay. like this is this is no, he was out of his Teague. Like, Sorry, come is, on, is, appreciate my pun. I, I hate your puns, um, but like. I, I argued, I, me and Jeremy had an argument on Twitter like a few days ago about this. But, like, I'm sorry, but if you sign Jalen Brunson to four years, whatever contract you give him, you, you're you going to sign. He's signing to be what? The starting point guard. 
That's a fact. Yeah. There's no fucking world where and under Tibbs, that means 36 plus minutes. It means at the very minimum two gigantic stints at the start of each half. Like we know this. Even Al got those, right? Yeah. So. He hated Kemba. He literally wanted Kemba gone for the team. And even then, when he started, he got two like 10 minute stretches at the start of each half. This is, you're not signing Brunson. I'm sorry, don't fucking sit there and try to tell me that if you sign Brunson, oh, well, quickly can still play 30 minutes a game. They can play together. Just, just, just shut up. No, they can't. They're not going to. Because Tim's our fucking coach. Like, this idea he's going to play 6'1 Jalen fucking Brunson, who has the fucking wingspan of Schwinnie Poo, uh, like, no, I'm sorry. He's not going to play him and Emmanuel quickly a shit ton of minutes together, and definitely not in crunch time to close games. It's not fucking happening. Like, if you think that's happening, you're delusional. That's delusional nonsense. It's fucking insanity. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. He's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. If you, like, this, and this to me, like, even though I think acquiring Brogdon still sends very mixed messages, it's a little, it's a lot more palatable to me because one, Brogdon's going to miss like probably 75% of the season anyway. But even when he does play, He's a big guard. Tibbs will play him and quickly together, hundred percent. There's no doubt in my mind. I don't think he's going to play quick and Brunson together a lot, or at all, maybe even. Like that's just not going to happen. It's not. This is and, interesting because I remember, like, like I didn't actually follow. Like, Mini wasn't my team when Tibbs was there, but I do remember. Like, I, I think it was actually maybe it was in the playoffs against Houston. So, like, Tibbs. You know, had his hand forced, but he was running shit like, like T Rose and uh, Jamal Crawford together. So, but yeah, Ro- but, Cro- but, Cro- but Crawford is what he's like six five, six six or something, right? Yeah, but yeah. No, I I understand. I trust me. I agree with what you're hinting at here. Rose <laughs> is also Derek Rose, who is like he's a little love child. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just not. It's not comparable. He he's just not. I I. I would be shocked. Like I, I genuinely would be shocked. And here's the other thing is, I don't want him to play Brunson and quickly together. Yeah. I wouldn't fucking blame him. It's not just him. It's, like, it's, it's like kind of an old coach thing. Like they just have it's, like... It's, a, it's, a, it's also like a normal human thing. Because personally, yeah. I would not play them together. <laughs> I, think they would, I think they would get destroyed defensively. Not even because either of them individually is a bad defender. But because well, like... I'll say quickly is definitely a lot better. Yeah, I, I agree. I 100% agree with that. But like... They like teams can't exploit that. It's just very obvious. Like, can you imagine you're playing like if you play the Bulls, right? If they go yeah. Levine and DeRozan in the backcourt, like I like quickly a lot as a defender. Do I want him on DeRozan? Do you like all him game? In his role? <laughs> yeah, but I like I like quickly. I like him on a guy like Trey Young. I wish we tried that last year. I mean, yeah. as much as I like anyone on Trey Young, honestly, our best option against Trey Young was Julius Randle, just like manning up. But um. But like quickly's like he's good at point of attack. Uh, he's great as an off-ball defender playing on like you know an off-ball wing. Like if, he, if you had him on someone like Quint Grimes, like I think he could be devastating. But if you play two of those guys and then you play him with another undersized guy, that's tough because one of them has to guard DeRozan, and like I don't really want quickly on DeRozan. I don't definitely don't want Brunson on him, and um, and then even if I, I lived with quickly on DeRozan, like. Because of his length, like Brunson on Levine, like I'm not taking that, you know. 
And that's without considering, like, I think Quickly is a lot better at getting through screens. Brunson's effort isn't a question, but he is small, like, uh, and he's not, like, he hasn't shown, like, he's, like, I think Brunson is fine as a defender. This is kind of the vibes I get from Ty Ty Washington, who's been mocked to the Knicks a lot. It's like, I think he'll be fine as a defender, but it's like, it's not someone who can, who can make an impact. And you have two of those guys, RJ, I know that we argued about this earlier, but he hasn't shown that level of impact yet. Um, in terms of what I'm sorry, I missed that part of it. As an, I would not call RJ an impact wing defender. I think he's shown that ability. I think in man to man defense. I thought he showed it last year. This year he showed it. He showed it on good wing. Taking a step back for sure. And he did. And like I will say, there was the game we had against Memphis where he did a really great job against John Morant. He is a good man. That's not that hard because John Morant just likes to run into human beings and thinks that's fucking talent. Fucking bum ass loser. Um. Yeah. So I mean, he's not better than Trey Young. Um. <laughs> and if you know us Knicks fans, we don't like to praise Trey Young, but I mean, he's probably gonna get All NBA over Trey Young. Can, which... can I actually? Can I just say this? I actually kind of like Trey Young. Like he's embraced being a villain. Like I, I don't think there's enough players like this. Like, and he's he's legit good. Like it's. I personally feel this way about Harden too. Um. At least yeah, earlier in his career, early in his career, but like especially with Trey, like he does crazy shit. He also foul baits, but he does crazy shit a lot. Like, I don't. Th- I don't find his foul baiting. I don't find his foul baiting as anywhere near as ridiculous as hard. Yeah, but that's also because we're getting ingratiated to foul baiting because of quickly. That's a little bit like part of that. No, I don't think so. I think like I genuinely don't think it's as gross. Like Harden to me, it's like you're six five, six six, super strong. Before he got fat, could get to the rim at will, basically. Like, you are already there, just trying to make the shot, and he just wouldn't do it. I, I don't even care about that, but like, I, I just, enjoy, I just wanted to say, like, I understand, I have no, I have no problem with Knicks fans that hate Trey Young, and I don't like Trey Young, but like, I do appreciate the fact that he enjoys that, like, he enjoys the fact that we don't like him, like, he plays up to that, he plays into it. I think that he's a good character to have in the league. I know he had a real stinker of a game today. Um, but, you know, as we talked about earlier, like, I think that's, like, this is, I, we mentioned, we, I, I mentioned this in Discord uh, yesterday or over the weekend anyway, but, like, this is easily the best coach he's had to, like, he's faced, right, in a playoff series. Because it was Tibbs, it was um, Doc Rivers, and then it was Budenholzer. Like, I feel like Spolstra is clearly better than those guys. Especially as a, game planner like for matchups and i just think this is a really this is going to be a really good experience for him uh moving forward because i just think like the the heat are going to put pressure on him and make him do shit that he isn't comfortable doing or doesn't even want to do i mean today you could see it he stopped even trying to attack the rim he just kept settling for pull-up jumpers in the second half um so I just think I I think he's a good character, and I think this is gonna be a good experience for him. But I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to say that because why the fuck not? I got I got one more question on like Nick's point guard stuff. So like, the Knicks like, do you know like if next year is like a playoff or bust type year for them? Because like, I would know, so- guess it is being the plan at least. Or okay, bust. okay. Like like I think I forget the plan or. Put it this way. I think it's like, you better be above 500 or bust kind of deal. Okay. So there is still like a, yeah, a like win uh, 
threshold that has to be met. Well, it's like you're, you've got tips. Like, let's be realistic about like, okay, yeah. you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, Tibbs isn't here to like <laughs> fucking play like a seven year development plan, right? Like, he's not Kenny Atkinson, um, which isn't a bad thing, by the way. I, I don't think it's a bad thing. But, and, and, you know, me and Stacey have talked about this a bunch. Like, Tibbs has proven he can develop talent even within like his obsessive nature to try and win every single game at all costs, right? Um, yeah. so, so, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, like I do think that the Knicks, they're not trying to go into next season. Even if it's like we want to play our young guys more, I don't feel that internally they would view that as we don't care about winning or losing games. Because to me, and Stacy, you can you know jump in and add to this if you want. One of the primary frustrations, arguably the biggest frustration for me this year, was that like if your focus really is about winning games, then to me, what this team needed to do was empower and embrace playing the young guys way more than they did. Um, because the, that to me is actually how they win games. And I just want to, and, and this is tied into like why I don't care to sign Brunson or anything. If you were to like, just outline your thoughts on how do the Knicks go from where they are currently to eventually developing into a contender, isn't it entirely predicated on their ability to develop their young guys and how those guys progress? Because to me, like signing Brunson isn't moving the needle in terms of getting to a contender level at any point. The only things that are going to move the needle for them are if and when they eventually trade for a star-level player, and the second one being is just how the young guys they have develop. And so to me, that's like a big reason why I am against signing somebody like a Malcolm Brog or training for a Malcolm Brogdon or signing a Jalen Brunson. Cause I just don't think they move the needle at that level at all. Um, now, if you're talking about like Shea Gilders Alexander or Donovan Mitchell or something like that, that's a totally different conversation to have. But, you know, Jalen Brunson and like. Even Sexton, I like Sexton. Sexton is a bet I would have probably, I would have definitely been com- more comfortable making before Quickly's close to the season. So I said a lot of things there, but I'm curious to kind of get both of your guys' thoughts on that. I'll let James go first. I mean, I don't really have much to add on that. I, 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 I agree with pretty much what he said. So, yeah. So you're saying that. Um, I mean, I think Sexton, it, it works because it's a pure talent play. Mm-hmm. I will say this. What are the two biggest needs for the Knicks? I think I've mentioned this at length. I mentioned this on the spot earlier. Um, the two biggest needs that I see, I think they have a great young... Like, First of all, to not in defensive tips, but I'll just say it's an unusual situation to have eight, nine guys that are young that are all worthy of, of minutes. Um, I do think his talent evaluation and making those calls was poor, but um, but I, I it's not it's a little bit of a strange situation. What the Knicks need, and I think we've talked about this. They need a guy who is the guy. Um, some might call him a closer, but they really need someone who can score at three levels. I think mid range scoring is a deficiency. We'll see if Deuce can grow into that, but RJ is I think two years minimum away from really making that a skill. Um, I hope his work ethic proves me wrong, but I just it, the results are tough to to bet on right now. 
And quickly, you know, he has a low release. He has the floater. Like, I, I, I think also it would probably be a two-year thing before he's really, you forget CJ McCollum, but, like, just a capable threat consistently from mid-range. And um, they need someone like that. Um, and they also need more of these guys. They acquired Cam, which was really helpful in that regard. But they won't play him. But they need these, the guy, like, look at the Toronto Raptors and they're just assembly line of six foot nine, six foot ten guys who can guard three, four, five positions, put the ball on the floor and pass, make quick decisions. And in general, like, I mean, I think the biggest thing just watching the playoffs and watching how those teams play now versus how the Knicks have played. And the thing is this, right? Everyone says the playoffs is just isolation basketball. And I got to tell you, like, it often devolves into that after, like, all of this crazy ball movement. And the teams rarely, they don't walk the ball up the floor. And the wings, the bigs, like, you see guys like Aaron Gordon making quick decisions. Like, just guys who are just like, he's just a guy. And then in the playoffs... They're doing like they're doing stuff that we haven't seen, frankly, from the Knicks. That kind of a player, six nine, six ten. I think there's guys like that in the Knicks draft range, <coughs> and there's also a guy or two who you I think bring, you want to give any names just to toss out there. Yeah, the two guys I would name, in, uh, three guys, three guys I would name in that mold are the top one that comes to mind is Jeremy Sochan, who's very raw, but he is a true. I think he will switch five positions. Um, James, like I don't know how much you followed the draft, but would it be interested in your insights to this as no, well? No, I don't, I don't know nothing. <laughs> um, but James, James is still crunching Malik Monk tape. Jeremy Sochan, who I believe is uh, he is Australian as well. Twenty-four <laughs> seven, man. Like, what you mean? I'm I, uh, by the way, James, I'm very much with you on the Malik Monk train. When the Knicks Malik. drafted Frank Nilakina, everyone says, "Oh, we should have drafted Donovan Mitchell um, or Bam, who went a pick after Donovan Mitchell, I believe." I wanted Monk. Uh, that I was, was a big guy. Monk guy. Monk was my guy. I think partly because I think Schwinn was writing on Posting and Toasting, so I think you kind of brought me over to the Monk side when I was reading yeah. that. Um, but, um, you know, and, and I brought you on to another Kentucky guard. But um, the point is, like, so Sochan is one. Tari Eason from LSU is, like, 6'9", freak athlete. Like, Sochan is not as great an athlete, but he's super agile. And he's long as shit, so I don't think that really matters as much. Sochan is also probably a little bit more like he is a connector guy; like he would help those processing. Tyree Eason is more of like he's great at driving, and then like from that he can make plays. But I think that that's more inconsistent. And then Dyson Daniels, Australian, played in the G League. Um, He's played point guard. He has those skills. He had like a growth spurt. I've always found those guys intriguing. But he's a connector guy. He has a nice floater. I think he's still adjusting to his size, so he doesn't attack the rim. But that's something that's in his bag, and the shot is a question mark. But those are all guys that would play that role as like a switchable dude who acts as a connector and just gives you that much more lineup flexibility, which another part is, you know, if we opt for lineup flexibility, and that's something we want, but our coach isn't going to use that, um, you know, and leave guys like Cam Reddish on the bench, that's a, that's a problem. And then on the other end, um, I did mention we need, I think, a three-level scorer. I think Johnny Davis is a guy, if he fell, the Knicks should be really thrilled to to bring him up. Um, but another guy who is now getting steam is Malachi Branham, who is um, – he's basically the same size as Alec Burks, but – That's what I she mean, said. 
Yeah, that is. Um, I think Alec Burks is pretty <laughs> private about his private life. I think he had a baby. I, he does not seem like that guy who a lot of she's are saying that about. But who knows? You know, maybe that's why he keeps it on the deal. But the point I'm making is Branham is that guy. He had elite pick and roll stats. And that's why I would, that, and like, I go back and forth about which we need more and which is harder to find. Because we're talking about Jalen Brunson, we're talking about Brogdon, we're talking about Brunson. The guys who aren't available are six eight, six nine guys you can switch and do those things. Well, and, that, and that's why, like, you know, I, again, but I also, a thousand times, I didn't like, I, I was not, I'm not, I've never been the biggest Cam Reddish fan. But it's why I like the trade because they did not have that profile of player. And yeah. like, and those like, are really tough to find. Yeah. And so, like, if I mean, it, sometimes people try to draft them and they turn into Kevin Knox. So. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> sometimes you pick the only wrong option. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, but, but also, it's also very tough to find to, a guy who can be that guy. And I, like, I don't know. I, I think that there's still a lot of people on draft Twitter who like Branham that are like, he's not the guy who can be that guy. But I see a lot of Chris Middleton in this game. Um, I see, like, he was an elite pick and roll scorer. Uh, and, and he's a very good passer. Like, he, he posts it up more often than you would expect a guard to. And unlike what you might see from a, someone like, uh, Julius so Randall, just, just some, uh, Malachi Branham, he was, uh, in the 94th percentile on pick and roll ball handling, uh, 1.04 points per possession. Uh, and that was his highest play type percentile. So, yeah, I mean, and also great passer of the pick and roll. He averaged two assists per game. I think that's being underrated because you watch the film. He's a quick decision maker. Like, he's very methodical, like what you said about Brunson, but I never felt like he was slow. Like if that's He's a methodical guy who's also a quick decision maker, which I think is a really good combo. Um, and it's and like I could see him, like 99th percentile outcome, I could see him being the guy on a team, the guy who can bring you home. Like if RJ is your guy who like off of, off of motion can like get to the bucket at will quickly is your guy who can run pick and rolls, get the offense going, play with pace, get you easy buckets. Branham is the guy who like at the end, you need a tough bucket. They've snuffed out all the, that's what we need. Right. After they've like, that's what I see in the playoffs, right? Like you have all these teams running these great motions, but I also see a guy just hit a tough shot or I see a guy like with five seconds left. It's all they have put, they have set up the defense to like get them something better of an isolation. They need both, and like I struggle, which is the bigger need? And I'd be curious to both of your um, kind of impacts. Because like both of those, I think are you don't find those guys in free agency easily, right? Um, but that's how I see where the Knicks need to go with their next move. Um, James, I'll let you go because I'm curious to get an outsider opinion on this. Uh, I mean, I thought Stacey broke it down really well, like the yeah, the vision with. But what's the question? Like, because. Like what? What? What's the other option apart so, from? So, so the TLDR is: the, if you had to add someone, well, like the, the, the big roster, wing which, or the or the uh, like the the switchable uber yeah. versatile, not Michael Bridges quite, but that kind mold. Yeah. Would you rather add a Michael Bridges or would you add rather add? I'm not saying Malachi Brownham is going to be Devin Booker, but like a Chris Middleton or someone like that, right? Well, definitely the Middleton, hundred percent the Middleton. Like yeah. that's that like the scoring talent like. Ultimately, uh, you can have the 7,000 high-processing players. If you don't have guys that are creating advantages for them to process, it kind of doesn't matter. And 
Right, not that it doesn't matter, but you know what I mean. Like it, it, it minimizes the impact of that skill, the processing skill. Um, like a guy like McCall Bridges is as effective as he is in large part because of who he plays with, right? Like Devin Booker leverages the defense's attention. DeAndre Ayton commands attention. Chris Paul commands attention. That makes it so much easier for a guy like, not even easier, that's the wrong word to use, but it, it allows a guy like McCall Bridges to amplify what they provide while showcasing his strengths as a player. And, and part of that equation is how much do we think that Quick Leak and RJ could grow yeah. into that? Yeah. And is that worth passing on another, on another lottery ticket for that? I, I, I would never pass up on... If you yeah. think a guy has legit Middleton upside, I will never pass on that for a super connector and awesome player. Like, unless yeah. you're literally like, this is Draymond. Then I like that. Okay, fine. Then I might take the Draymond guy. But like, if it's not that, then yeah, I'm always going to take the Middleton side. And before, like, I know Stacy, you got to get out of here pretty soon. So I just want to bring this up uh, before before we do because me and James have talked about Draymond Green like yeah. seven billion times, and I don't think any one of those times we've ever had like <laughs> the same opinion from the previous time. Because he's the most ridiculous player. Like, I have no, like, you watch him in some games and you're like, how the fuck can you ever win a game with this guy? But then, like, you'll watch 90% of his games and you're like, greatest intangible player of all time. Does nothing wrong ever. Like, I thought he was amazing last night. Like, as Jokic is, Jokic is what? He's like a top, top five tough cover in the NBA. And I thought Draymond did, you know, considering everything. I don't. I don't know if you can do better. I, I thought he was yeah. amazing last night. Like one of like a great, even for him. And he's had a lot of great performances. That was like an all-time great Draymond performance. I thought yesterday. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah, I think just getting like getting playback just kind of changed the equation for his offense because like. You know, it's just different. Like, you know, you can create advantages so much easier now and then, like, the actual play finishing. Like, the only reason Draymond had to, like, start forcing shots at the rim in the play-in, which is what uh, evoked a lot of my anti-Draymond takes, you know, um, was because, you know, Wiggins didn't have his legs, so he wasn't hitting his corner threes. Like, the only guys he could trust to hit shots were Poole and Curry by that point. So... Yeah, so um, I think getting Clayback just changes that a lot for him, covers up that big weakness, and then, yeah, it just makes him... Yeah, that, like, that, so, yeah, but, like, going back to the Connectiverse uh, three-level score thing, that's that's so fucking hard, man. Like, because, like, the Knicks have crowded, like, backcourt. I mean, if you really think... He, so, like, does, would like a Branham, like, would he have, oh, shit, I don't think Sage has any time to answer this, but I think it just comes down to whether you think, like, like, the short term matters. Like, Branham has to get on the court ahead of a Grimes or McBride very soon if he's going to get the chance to be that guy. But then, like, if he's a guy who's, like, yeah, like, short term is not, like, if he's, like, like, yeah, if he's a guy who's not going to get ahead of those, those two guys, like, very quickly. And that's then... a good point. 
but I think that also that also works to the Knicks' advantage because yeah. I think the real the reality is RJ plays the three and Grimes backs up the three, right? Okay. Um, and then you have Reddish and Toppin backing up at the moment Randall. Um, so there's a logjam everywhere. Right. Um, what Branham brings is he's like I said he's Alex Burks he's Alec Burks' length. Um, you know, it's a six five six ten wingspan. He is 6'5", 185 right now, so he will probably gain weight. But um, if you watch his college film, he's very strong. Like he was, yeah. you know, bouncing guys off him. Like that is not an issue. It's probably just, and he can still add 15, 20 pounds minimum. Um, and I think he can play the three. Um, Prez might kill me for saying that, but I, I think that he's he's right now he's more of a guy you'd want guarding ones and twos. But I don't think he necessarily hurts that logjam, um, especially if they do move Burks and eventually Fournier. And the other part of it is, I think because they have a logjam everywhere, they probably do want to take a swing on a guy yeah, who yeah. you can marinate a little bit yeah, because yeah. Rea- realistically, like, no one is getting minutes. Unless the, the only way I would see someone coming in and getting minutes, heavy minutes immediately at that pick would be... Um, if we move up. No, if we move up or if we... Um, or if the Knicks don't re-sign Mitchell Robinson and um, you know draft the center as his replacement, right. even then with Taj and all of that, that that like they could draft Mark, Mark Williams or um, or Jalen Duran if he falls, which is not um, unreasonable. Man, if so Grant that's the, fell, but but with Brandham, like the the other part I didn't mention is, you know, we talked about Tari's and he's going to be twenty soon. I think he already is twenty. Um, Branham is still 18. Um, so he has that time and that also makes it very impressive how, how effective he was. Um, you know, he meets, you know, the kind of basic criteria that you want statistically from a guy that young, like who you think could be special. So, uh, okay. Yep. Um, look, I, I want to, I want to be honest. I have no idea how I'm going to write up the uh, description of this pod because, I have no idea what the thesis of this conversation was, but it was no, I mean, like quickly, quickly in point guard things. Yeah, it was fun. It was a really good conversation. Wait, wait. wait. So if we're wrapping up, I got, I got it. You know what's coming soon. I got it, but I got to drop yeah. it. So, all right. So, but my first appearance on Strickland Pods, I remember having a good time initially, and then halfway through it, you know, tears started streaming down my cheeks, and I, after after recording, uh, you know, went talk, went to my therapist and. Yeah, because um, Shrin, mostly Shrin, but also Prez and Tyrese kind of ganged up on me, the lone D-low defender. And uh, yeah, so I got a, I got a, and I, I, I literally said, I'm not sure. Yeah, I literally said on the podcast that like after that whole D-low discussion, like that whole podcast was my receipt. I'm going to come back in 12 months. I'm going to have a jolly old time. And so we're going to do that. So um, I believe this is one of the rants Shrin made of many about D'Lo. So we'll just yeah, get it going. Give me a second. All right. He is a illusion. He is a mirage of what you think a good NBA point guard should be. He's not a starting point guard. He is a sixth man. He's a glorified sixth man. Glorified sixth man. Doesn't give a shit about defense. Doesn't give a shit about how to actually win basketball games. He just wants to get his fucking numbers and look good on camera and get on IG, all 
that shit. He's a losing player, and when you trade for him, you are telling on yourself. <laughs> Understand winning, and you don't care about. Him. Alright, so he's a whizzy, it's a wazzy, it's a it's not real. <laughs> I, I will say this. I, I still don't just let me cook let me cook, alright? Minnesota just won game one against Memphis. New York Knicks yeah, we're we're talking about Malachi Branham and Tari Eason. Like there's levels to this man and you know yeah, take that shit. Alright, you can try that. There's no way you get to victory walk having 17 different favorite teams, James. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you don't right, get to right. do that. No, but like, you can only like, the D'Lo take, though. You can only the D'Lo. Okay, take. okay, yeah. I'm not, no, but like, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, D'Lo, I think he was, what, top 20 in the league and, like, all the on-off things. Yeah, I, I don't year, even know. So. I, just, I just know that he was really good this year. He was really, really yeah. good this year. And, so um, shout out Dilo, yeah. my guy. You 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 beat the allegations, you know. I know yeah, you know, a lot of you know, he's not even on Instagram like that, so that, that bit of the rant was just along with the rest of the basketball <laughs> stuff, just completely inaccurate. It was just good to throw that in there, you know. It's yeah, like, no, 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 it was a bar, but even in, in some ways you could say I did it for the gram. <laughs> <laughs> All right, James, thank you for embarrassing yeah. that on podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, so much fun as always. I was uh, so happy James... I got to experience another stream rant on uh, the delusional. <laughs> hey, you, 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 want, you want to start anybody over a manual quickly, you get ready for a rant. Uh, <laughs> you come right, James... for the quick, you get the horns. <laughs> James, let the people know where they can find you and plug anything that you'd like to plug. Uh, all right, so you can find me yeah, at... Free Malik Monk, you know, the agenda never stops at on Twitter at Free Malik Monk. But uh, oh, yeah, real quick before you get out of here, number one what? landing spot for Malik Monk this offseason. No uh, explanation, just tell us Detroit Pistons. Detroit I Pistons, I am with you on that. All right, yeah, uh, yeah, no, nah, not, nothing to focus. Uh, re enrolling you this year, so well, not that I had anything to plug last year when I was doing nothing all day, but yeah, uh, nothing to plug at the moment, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, James. Great to have you on, as always. I uh, appreciate your time logging in from Australia. Uh, Stacy, plug anything that you like to plug, and uh, let people know where they can find you if they don't know that already, which would be weird because it was in this podcast. Yeah, you can find me at StacyPatton89 on Twitter. Um, only thing I'll plug is keep tuning into the Strickland for more draft coverage. We're going to be releasing a bunch of profiles. Um, both before the lottery and then once we have a little more clarity, even more. And also the Believe Knicks podcast, if you want to hear more of me, as well as Matthew Miranda, who's a lot uh, well, uh, a lot wiser than me. Um, you know, Cooler, definitely more into that. Some. Exactly. So. <laughs> uh, all right, Stacey, thank you so much. Uh, this was fun. I had a really good time. Uh, I also... I'm also I'm I'm probably a little bit giddy over the fact that the Nets lost in the exact way they did. I can't believe it took like the Nets are so stupid that I have to root for like the fucking Celtics over them, which is disgusting. Um, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed exactly how they lost. I enjoyed Kyrie's little bitch boy rant after the game. How he's a fucking baby. Fuck him. And fuck the people that defend anything that he says. He's a fucking dork. Um, and I hope 
him nothing but failure on an NBA court. Uh, I hope he never has success again uh, at, in terms of a championship level. And uh, Kevin Durant should probably shave his head and just go bald because <laughs> we 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 see it, bro. It's there. We all know you're going bald. Uh, and they can go fuck themselves. And the Bulls can go fuck themselves because they will never have a better chance of beating the Bucks than they did today, and they couldn't get it done because DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that Who's is ready to go for that. Holy shit! I have been. You don't even know how many Bulls bookmarks exist on my Twitter. <laughs> uh, but that is our pod for today. Hope everybody's great night. Hope everybody has a great week, and I will see you on Friday. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.